Let's open the word of God to Isaiah 38. It's the chapter the Lord has brought us to for today. We have quite a few more verses to cover in this first service than in the second. We have 22 verses here and only eight in the second. And we'll try to do justice to these 40 verses with God's help. Isaiah chapter 38. God told Hezekiah in this chapter that he would die. And the record of this chapter is found in your Bibles three times. And that tells us that the Lord thinks this story is worthy of your attention. That he would have it repeated three times in the Bible. God told Hezekiah he would die, but his prayer gained 15 more years in just seconds. He gained 15 more years with a sign to prove it, an incredible supernatural astrological sign to prove it, and then we have his thanksgiving. Hezekiah's thanksgiving for such a blessing in this chapter. Some of you love to journal, and so I tried to tell you in the preparatory email yesterday that Isaiah 38 has Hezekiah's journal in it, because at beginning at verse 9 and ending at verse 20, it's a written journal of his thoughts right. about dying. And then his thoughts about being healed and that he wasn't going to die and what he was going to do with his remaining years. It's wonderful when the Lord is so kind to let us into the heart of a man. You know, I want to encourage you again. Many churches hardly know what the book of Psalms is for. They teach their children the 66 books of the Bible but other than Psalm 23, they hardly know what's in the book of Psalms. But the book of Psalms is an open door into the heart of the man after God's own heart. And there is his, fe his fears are there, his hopes, his threats, his desires, his passion, his prayers, his enemies, how he deals with enemies, his innermost thoughts. When he's talking to himself, it's recorded in the book of Psalms. Right. O my soul, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Now that's talking to himself, but we have it written down, inspired, and preserved by God our Father. And so we have Hezekiah in Isaiah 38 in verses 9 through 20, which we will get to. Hezekiah was a great king, one of Judah's best four kings. Remember, the nation of Israel, after Solomon, was broken into two nations. The northern kingdom of ten tribes and the southern kingdom of two tribes. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Jesus Christ is going to come through the tribe of Judah, so there is more attention paid to it. And when God judged Israel, he had very little mercy for them because of their wickedness, and they did not have the anointing on any of their tribes that was going to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Hezekiah was a great king. David was God's favorite. But then after that, we have Jehoshaphat, who was a great king and stood up against Ahab for the most part. And then we have Hezekiah, then we have Josiah. Josiah was known for turning back to the Lord more than any king. Hezekiah was known for trusting in the Lord more than any king. Right. And David delighted in the Lord and was God's favorite. Hezekiah was a great king. As soon as he took office, and I told you about that earlier this morning, when going over 
Psalm 122 with you. Oh, though only 25 years old, he boldly revived public worship. He changed religion for the whole nation. He led the nation in tearing down their groves and their high places to restore worship in one place. Even Sennacherib knew about it because he told the people of the Jews, how do you think your God's going to bless you? Hezekiah's reduced your worship to one place. Well, that's because God wanted to be worshiped in only one place, in Jerusalem. He was a great king, better than almost all the rest, for he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And that's what the Bible tells us. He's compared favorably to David, which puts him in elite company. He aggressively corrected religious corruption, even breaking Moses' brazen serpent. Can you believe Hezekiah, when he's cleaning out the temple, he finds the brass serpent of Moses 800 years later. That's how much people love relics. That's why the Catholic Church has relics. The Jews had kept Moses' brass serpent. It couldn't do anything for anyone after the one day that it was put up when there were fiery serpents unleashed on the people by God himself. And remember, Hezekiah found that thing and he named it in the Bible. Nehushtan. I just love that. Sounds like I'm sneezing in German. (laughs) Nehushtan. What does it mean? A piece of brass. Hezekiah looked at that thing. It's a piece of brass. And he broke it in pieces. What a king. He, He understood that relics had no power and that there's no residual power in something that God gave for a different dispensation or at a different time. When the Seventh-day Adventists and others today want to go back into the Old Testament and pull that Sabbath or Seventh-day forward, they're doing the same thing that Israel did by continuing to worship the brass serpent. Because the Sabbath was for the Old Testament. It was for the Jews. And it only lasted 1,500 years. So we want to be attentive to Hezekiah's zeal. He trusted in God more completely, in God's perfect judgment, than any other king before or after. He clave to the Lord. The Bible tells us he clave to the Lord, which means to stick to him tightly, keeping his precepts, no matter what the circumstances were. Because of these things, the Lord was with him and prospered him in everything he chose to do. I want all you men to prosper. But the first step to prospering is to put his kingdom first. Amen. On the first day of his, of his reign, he's down there with bolt cutters at the temple. And I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Put the Lord's house first and he'll take care of the rest. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. His successes by the Lord's blessing included his rebellion against Assyria and his ruin of Philistia. God summarized his efforts as doing that which was good and right and in truth before him. When he sought his God by worship and word, he did it with all his heart and prospered. These are statements of the Bible taken from three different locations. 2 Kings 18 through 20, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah 38 and 39. His glory increased greatly after his defeat of Sennacherib and after his healing. All the nations of the earth did him honor, and they brought him presents and made him very great in the earth. The Lord arranged all that. The man who thought that Jerusalem might be overthrown by Sennacherib was exalted greatly because of his great trust in the Lord. 
His wealth increased greatly, for God gave him substance very much, and he had to build stores for it. He creatively improved Jerusalem's water supply by a system of canals, passages, and pipes. And there are even YouTube videos about some of Hezekiah's engineering work in bringing water straight into Jerusalem. God clearly identified the three places where he's recorded in the Bible. Far from Ahaz's burial, his wicked father, Hezekiah was buried with honor in a chief grave of David's royal sons. Even the book of Proverbs. When you get to Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 1, it says, these are the Proverbs that the men of Hezekiah copied out. So Hezekiah set men to work to make sure we had all the best Proverbs and the Lord blessed it. Because, you know, we only got the Proverbs out of Solomon's 3,000 that were inspired by God for our prophet. We only, have a f- we only have about 500. There's 915 verses in the book of Proverbs, but only about 500 Proverbs out of the 3,000 that Solomon wrote. Hezekiah participated in that selection. Let's come to Isaiah 38. Last Lord's Day, we covered 36 and 37, when Sennacherib of the Assyrian Empire came and assaulted that region of the world and sought to take the whole nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. But he didn't, because the Lord was with Hezekiah and with the remnant of the Jews that were there. I'm going to read verse 1 of Isaiah 38. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Amen and amen. He had a terminal disease. And then the Lord gave him a prognosis. Yep, it's going to take you under. It's going to take you down. Thou shalt surely die. So in your remaining few hours, get your house in order for the rest of your family. The timing is important to appreciate the dire circumstances in which Hezekiah prayed. It starts off this verse by saying, in those days. What days? The days of Sennacherib coming and surrounding the area and coming with Rabshake and a great army against Jerusalem. So this man, Hezekiah, at one time had all the fenced and walled cities of Jerusalem being taken, plus Sennacherib sending a host against the city of Jerusalem, plus all the blasphemous taunts and threats and warnings that they were going to take the city, and he got a terminal disease. Lord, have mercy. He would, but it would take a little while. That's a lot of bad news. And you know, there's other men in the Bible that had some bad news in succession. When you read the first two chapters of Job, it says that before one messenger could finish his bad news report, the next messenger arrived with more bad news and more bad news. And so the Lord sometimes will send you more bad news than one to see if you'll trust him. These are overwhelming circumstances. If you just were told by a doctor that you've only got a couple days to live, it would mess you up. But Hezekiah was told that not by a doctor who's wrong many times, but by the Lord God who's never wrong. Thou shalt surely die. And he's got a huge army there that had never met defeat. 
They could take on the Egyptians, take on the Philistines, take on anyone and win. And so as we look at the chapter, think about this and see if you can't find here some encouragement that when something is wrong in your life or some bad event happens or two bad events happen or five bad events happen, can you still trust in the Lord? Let's be like Hezekiah and still trust in the Lord. This is in the 39th year of his life. He's only 39 years old. Anyone in here about 39 years old? There's one. There's one, front row. No wonder he sat up here today. The 39th year of Hezekiah. It's his thir he's only 39. No wonder he's going to pray the way he does. You know, the Bible tells us, as face answereth to face in water, so the heart of man to man. You should be able to read what is in Isaiah 38 and relate to it because he was only 39 years old and he had a terminal disease. And so he's going to beg the Lord for some more years. And the Lord's going to give him some. Hezekiah had both of these terrible events in the 14th year of his reign. He began to reign when he was 25, so now he's 39 and these things are happening. We don't know or care what illness he had, but it was an illness consistent with dying and we do not know or care about the value of fig poultices, knowing it was a miracle. Right. We trust all that God wrote is valuable, and we believe other inquiries are worthless. Amen. And God didn't tell us what disease he had, nor did he tell us how often we should use fig poultices. When was the last time you used a fig poultice? Okay, we're still on the right path then. It's one thing when a doctor speculates you will die, but another when God declares it. Right. We call it doctor speculation, because they know little about life and life expectancy. We call it doctor speculation for wise patients with sickness get second opinions. Do you know what a second opinion means? You don't really trust the first guy. We call it doctor speculation for the second doctor may cure the first doctor's prognosis. But not when it's the Lord. When the Lord says, thou shalt surely die, that is serious. And when we look into his journal, we're going to find out that Hezekiah knew it was serious. He was thinking he was going to die any hour, at any time. The Lord is just going to take him out of this world. In such dire circumstances, most Christians would give up and put their house in order. But God's greatest men do not take even God's word against them as the final word. Do, do you all hear, did you hear what I just said? God's great men do not take even God's word as the final word against them because they know that there's mercy with the Lord. Right. Hezekiah didn't say, the Lord's will be done. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And, and, get, his will set, and get his will finished and die. He didn't say, wives, could you bring, or wife, could you bring me my last meal? I'm about to go. He didn't do that. He turned to the wall and said, Lord, I believe there's mercy with you and you can overcome your own statement to me. Give me some more time. And within 15 seconds, he was given 15 more years. Because the Bible tells us before Isaiah could get to the middle court, the Lord turned him around, go back in there and tell Hezekiah, my captain, that I'll give him 15 more years. Right. That... That is confidence in the M word. Mercy. God has mercy. So that 
when God told David, because you have given an occasion of the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that's going to be born of you shall die. What did David do? Go buy himself a baby coffin? No. He went and fasted and prayed for seven days and seven nights before the Lord. And later his servants asked him, why are you now in the house of the Lord worshiping after you found out the child was dead? Well, while the child was alive, I knew that there was hope, there was mercy with the Lord. And if we read the whole Bible, we even know there's mercy with the Lord after a child dies, don't we? Because some children did die and the Lord raised them from the dead. But that's how David, David said, while the child was alive, there might still be mercy with the Lord. So sometimes we make the statement, when you're facing a difficulty, we pray and beg God for mercy till the baby dies. Meaning, the circumstances that you're in tell you that it's over, that God's made a decision. See, Hezekiah wasn't dead yet. So while he had breath, he was going to beg God for mercy. And it's a lesson for every one of us. Right. It's a lesson for us. You're never, the Lord's not going to tell you you're surely going to die. You're just going to get a doctor's opinion. And he's going to speculate in some range of months or years or weeks. And yet even when it's the Lord, we can still pray. Right. And Hezekiah did. It's a great example for us. Consider how the Ninevites. Jonah went into Nineveh and said, 40 days and this city's going to be overthrown. Did the king say, thank you for preaching the sovereignty of God to me, and thank you for giving me a free copy of Arthur Pink's book, The Sovereignty of God, The Lord's Will Be Done? No! Please, be, please understand what I'm saying, why I'm saying it, and why I want to be as plain as I possibly can be. The, men of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh ordered the whole city to repent. He wanted sackcloth and ashes, even on the little kitty cats and puppy dogs. Every beast was to have sackcloth on it. And what did God do? God repented and did not overthrow Nineveh for 160 years. So that Jonah weeped and whined about it, saying, This is why I didn't want to come, because I knew you'd have mercy on these people. What a prophet of God. He, he, knew, he knew that the Lord would have mercy. The Jews hated the Assyrians. You can understand why. Sennacherib and Rabshakeh blowing off their mouths against the God of Israel. But notice, even the king of Nineveh knew, when you repent, things can happen. Right. And you say to me, I've been asked, and I've been asked before, and in a recent study about Jonah that we did, why did God spare the city? Well, we're not told why. There's, there's no evidence that he had any affection for the city of Nineveh over any other city. And I, and I went through all that in a bunch of slides on a Wednesday evening. But this one thing I do know, that when Jesus preached to his generation, right. and they did not repent at the preaching of Jesus, he said, the men of Jonah will rise up with this generation and condemn them, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and a greater than Jonah is preaching to you. Amen. You say, what's that whole point for? Why'd you take us back to Jonah? Repent. Repent and beg God for mercy, because there is mercy with the Lord. Right. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. Is there a psalm that just can't get off that statement? His mercy endureth forever. It's Psalm 136. His mercy endureth forever. So you can always call out to the Lord for His mercy, right. like Hezekiah did. 
These examples show us God may test us to see our faith and to trust Him in action. There are other places that encourage it as well, but I'll leave them for anyone that want to get into the outline. Good fathers and rulers take care of things before they die to minimize the consequences, and I hope you can appreciate that. The Lord telling Hezekiah, set your house in order, because there needs to be an order when a man dies. It makes things a whole lot easier for those that are behind to have it all taken care of. The Bible says in Proverbs 19 and 14, house and riches are the inheritance of fathers. It should all be taken care of in things like that so the children don't have to worry about it and they can honor you instead of trying to figure out who has power of attorney and where does this stuff go and who's going to get dad's hunting rifle oh please you can assign it in the will anyway it's there the lord said that you know when the lord's going to tell a man you're going to die he gives him a little piece of practical advice everything in the bible has a lesson for us if we look at it and think about it the next two verses two and three then hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the lord this is his response to the lord saying you're gonna die get your house in order you're gonna die soon you've got a fatal disease and it's not going away then hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the lord he didn't need isaiah for this one did he he turned his face to the wall bye bye see you later isaiah I've got to meet with the Lord. And he turned his face to the wall and begged the Lord directly. And said, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. What a great example of prayer. May we embrace this third verse and understand all that it says in light of James chapter 5 and verse 16 which I reminded you of on Wednesday evening. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You want to talk about much? He is going to get 15 years of life extension, immediate healing. The sun's going to move backward 10 degrees, and he's going to be made rich and live in peace with truth the rest of his life. It avails much. The three things are here. Was he a righteous man? He's able to appeal to his righteousness. Did he pray fervently? The Bible tells us Hezekiah wept sore. It wants you to see that James 5.16 is fulfilled right here. And that James 5.16 works. Did he pray effectually? Ah, that was the point from Wednesday evening. Because he had content that was appealing to his own righteousness and the good things he had done. Was Hezekiah perfect? No man is. Can you still appeal to your righteousness? Oh, yes. Was David perfect? No. Did David appeal to his own righteousness? Yes, he did. The emphasis in this church on living a righteous life is for several reasons at several levels. And one of them is so that you can pray like this. If you're not living a righteous life, with a pure heart toward God and walking with Him every day and delighting in Him, you can't pray verse 3. Verse 3 would be, I repent now, O Lord, instead of remember now, O Lord. Do you know the difference between those two R words? We want to be able to say remember now. At this time, right now, when my life is at risk, remember how I have lived the last 
14 years, because this is the 14th year of his reign, instead of I repent for the way I've lived the last 14 years. Once you're to that point, you can't change it. You've got to use the repent word or the remember word. Because you repent, you can't use remember. When you can use remember, you don't need to repent. Do you understand the blessing of a, of a righteous life? It's a sermon preached a long time ago called the power of a righteous life. And so Hezekiah had that power and enabled, it enabled him to pray the way that he did here. He was 39 years old. He didn't want to die early. He begged God to give him some more years. Hezekiah did not pray. Hezekiah did not pray. Lord, thank you for this day. I love heaven. Take me home. Amen. Sorry if it hurts. We need to learn. Hezekiah didn't pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Where's that found in the Bible and why do you do it? Why don't you thank him for last night? Why don't you thank him for last week? Why do you thank him for today? You say, are you really upset at us for that? I just want you to learn. I want you to pray like Hezekiah. Hezekiah didn't do that. Look what Hezekiah did. Remember now, remember right now, Lord, I've only got a few minutes left, and with whatever energy and strength I have, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee how I have walked before thee. And what a prayer it is. What a prayer it is. Most Christians do not know how to pray like the Bible tells us how. And the more conservative the Christians, the less they know. They can hardly imagine negotiating like Abraham or refusing to yield like Jacob. Abraham said, Lord, if you burn up the righteous in Sodom along with the wicked, that's wrong. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What if there's 50 righteous souls in there? And he starts at 50, goes to 45, goes to 40, goes to 30, goes to 20, and goes to 10 and quits. That's a bold man praying. And the Lord honored that prayer. Then there's Jacob. The Lord was wrestling with Jacob. And the Lord said, listen, it's almost morning. I've been wrestling all night with you. Let me go. I will not let you go. Is that the way you should talk to God? Yes, that is the way you should talk to God. God said, thou shalt die. Lord, don't let me die. So we want to pray more aggressively. More boldly. We want to pray effectually by bringing content to bear of arguments and appeals that will move him on our behalf. And Hezekiah had a righteous life that he could appeal to. What can we do for the house of the Lord? You know, I want to grab a pair of bolt cutters right now and go cut something. Don't you? Maybe that chain out front. Just cut it about 20 times. I'm trying to get your attention. What can we... What can we do for the house of the Lord so that when we really want him to intervene for us, we can say, Lord, remember, instead of saying, Lord, I repent. Oh, do you see the difference? There's only one way to do it, day at a time. A day at a time, a week at a time, a month at a time, a year at a time, living righteously, so that when we get to a point like this, we can say, Lord, remember, instead of, I repent. Most Christians would judge Isaiah as being self-righteous. The more conservative the Christians, the more they would judge him. Hezekiah did not mention Messiah's righteousness, imputation of righteousness, or anything like it. 
He didn't, he didn't mention the legal phase of salvation, the vital phase of salvation. He's only talking about the practical one. Hezekiah did not pretend spirituality to talk about being clothed in Christ's righteousness. Hezekiah did not go off on a tangent about his total depravity and beg for mercy. Follow with me. Is there a time to talk about being totally depraved? Yes. Is there a time to say, I am less than the least of all saints? Is there a time to say, I am the chief of sinners? Yes. Is there a time to say, I am not a whit behind the very chiefest of the apostles? All those statements have a context for them that you need to remember. They have a context for them. Paul did not go around every day saying, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. In a brown robe, remember, in a brown robe, fondling beads. I'm, a, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Paul also said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. We want the Bible's balance. And I want the crown of that road so that we don't slip down toward either ditch on either side. Hezekiah did not corrupt scripture that his righteousness were, righteousnesses were nothing but filthy rags. He didn't go to Isaiah 64, 6. It would have been hard. But he didn't go to Isaiah 64 and verse 6 to say that all his righteousnesses were like filthy rags. Hezekiah did not pretend humility, for God cannot stand those holier than others that think their, that think their fake humility is righteousness. Christians need to seek the crown of the road. There is a false humility of personal degradation and personal denigration unknown in God's Bible. When Paul's facing death, Paul did not say, there is no hope for me. I am a worm of worms. I am a wretched sinner. There is no hope for me but the blood of the cross. Paul said, and it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verses 7 and 8, I, I kept the faith, I fought a good fight, I have finished my course, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now, if you're going to say that that is self-righteous arrogance, then you're accusing Paul of being self-righteous arrogant and arrogant when he was inspired. <laughs> and we don't go around saying those things all the time either, do we? Because we know we're depraved. When we go to the Lord in prayer and we confess our sins, we don't tell him we don't have any. Because 1 John chapter 1 tells us in verses 8 and 10 that he that says he doesn't have any sin or isn't sinning is a liar and the truth is not in him. So there's a balance. But brethren, is this kind of praying in your life at all? Is what I'm trying to say. Is this kind of praying in your life at all? Because when Hezekiah was faced with these dire circumstances... Look at what he appealed to. Hezekiah used one of the great arguments for reasoning in prayer, his own righteousness. His appeal was to his own righteousness, his own godliness, his own faithfulness. He asked the Lord to remember his good works, not Messiah's work or his depravity. He begged God, which is the meaning of beseech, to remember his goodness at this time. Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee. I beg you, Lord, to remember all that I've done for you. Then list a few of them for him, if you need to. Of course he knows. Do you have any? The emphasis of our church needs to be on living righteous lives so that when we read something like this, we can all pray like this. Right. And not with the other R word. Remember at this time, Lord, what I have done for 14 years and walked in truth before thee. Note, I'm looking at the verse. 
right now as I say these things, how I have walked before thee in truth. Remember, Lord, at this time, with this threat against my life, what I've done for 14 years, maintaining a perfect heart before thee. Remember, Lord, at this time, what I've done for 14 years, I've done good in thy sight. Do you see it all in that one verse? He said these things. Let's do these things so that we can pray this way. There's power with the Lord when you can pray like this. The Lord loves the righteous, and he hears their prayer, and his face is open to their cry. Are you familiar with all those verses? Those verses are not talking about legal righteousness. Those verses are not talking about that phase of salvation. Those verses are talking about practical righteousness. His face is open unto their cry. But the Lord's face is against those that do wickedly. It's the practical phase. It's obedience or not. It's a tremendous lesson in Isaiah 38. I don't want to give you just the history of it. I want to look at this verse and embrace it for more powerful praying. Oh, are you, my hearers, are you able to extract the lesson of reasoning and prayer over your doubts? I've done this before, but look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18, let me show you that David did it. I could go to Psalm 7, I could go to Psalm 26, I could go to Psalm 35, I could go to Psalm 101, but let's go to Psalm 18. Let's go to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a powerful psalm. It's got 50 glorious verses. It's in the Bible twice. It's also 2 Samuel chapter 22. This psalm is in the Bible twice, and I want you to see how David prayed. Let's learn to pray that way. Because when David prayed, things happened, brethren. Do you want to see it? I love this little, this little uh, connection. Verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Was Hezekiah in distress? He called upon the Lord. Did anything happen? Oh, yeah, big, big things happened. But here's David. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Look at the next verse. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils. Listen, this, this kind of language and this terminology is fantastic. It's God being upset that his son David was in trouble and he was going to come and rescue him and he rode upon the clouds of heaven like a steed. Listen, I love prophetic language. I love the metaphorical word pictures that the Bible wants to give us. When you read down through this, this is the most powerful being in the universe rushing to the aid of his little David. David's got 12 sins that we've been able to identify in the Bible that we're able to list, and yet David's going to be able to pray this way, and let me take you there now. Verse 19. Psalm 18, verse 19, He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. God delighted in me. That's bold. Watch, verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. David was a sinner, just like you and I are sinners. But when David sinned, David repented. 
And when David was in his right mind, he was not an average Christian. He was not a nominal Christian. He was an exceptional Christian. And he put the worship of God forefront at all times in his heart and his mind, his actions and his labors. Everything was for the Lord. Yes, he fell. Yes, he sinned. Yes, he sinned terribly. Yes, he sinned heinously. Yes, he sinned in capital crimes, but he repented of them. He repented when he was told. Hezekiah said, thou art the man. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Bam. Just like that. And so he could pray this way. Flip back a little further to the book of Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Nehemiah. To see that this is scriptural praying. Nehemiah chapter 13. It's the last chapter in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah came back from Babylon to help and assist the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple there in Jerusalem. And here's how he prayed. Nehemiah chapter 13. In verses 10 through 4, he is going to explain that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them, and he ordered for them to be given to the Levites. And he says in verse 14, Remember me, O my God, concerning this. Notice the word. It's not repent, it's remember. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds. Notice it's not the Lord's good deeds. It's His that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. Then, in verse 15, down through verse 22, he corrected their Sabbath day abuses. And look at verse 22, the last sentence of that long verse. Go to the second half of the verse where it says, Remember me. It's not repentance. It's remember, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Remember this also in addition to the verse 14. And then he has to take care of those that had married foreign wives. And so he has a national day of divorce. He grabs those men. He he fought them cursed them, it's verse 25, smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. He ripped off their hair, punched them, cursed them, and fought with them and made them swear. You will swear right now before I rip the rest of your hair off that you're not going to marry these pagan wives. And he gets to the last verse. And for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits, remember me, O my God, for good. So that comes from verse 29. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood. You remember them for their evil deeds. Remember me for how I have tried to clean things up here in Jerusalem. I just, I'm, just, I'm just wanting to know if, if you know how to pray. You say, well, Jesus didn't teach us to pray that way. Oh, yes, he did. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. That is the exact same kind of reasoning right there in the Lord's short prayer when he said, pray after this manner. That is reasoning with the Lord. I have been merciful in my life and I forgive everyone I possibly can. Forgive me my sins as I forgive people who sin against me. Turn, turn, turn anywhere you want. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Okay, back to Isaiah 38. What a prayer. But we can only pray it if we're living it. Otherwise, we have to use the other R word. And the other R word doesn't always work so generously. But it can. You know, Jonah finally repented and got vomited up on shore. 
And I hope that that's been helpful to you. Let's go. Verses 4 and five, four through 8. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Isaiah's only walked a few paces away. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go, say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he hath spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which is gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees, by which degrees it was gone down. Isaiah, Hezekiah, the cap, my captain in Judah, has just prayed to me. I've heard his prayer. His prayer was good. I'm going to answer his prayer. If you think this was arrogant or self-righteous, you're so wrong. You're so wrong on every level. God heard this prayer and God honored that prayer and sent Isaiah back in there. Tell him I'm going to give him 15 more years. And so he'll know for sure that I'm going to do that and he can count on it. Tell him to look at his dad's sundial. And we don't know anything about Ahaz's sundial. I don't care what historians tell us outside of the Bible, but it was probably something pretty special for a king to have it and to have it named after him and to have it preserved. They didn't exactly have the watches and their cell phones to check the time with. But there was a big sundial of Ahaz. And so Hezekiah is there looking at it and it moves backward. The sun moved backward 10 degrees. Isn't that beautiful? Because Hezekiah heard the words, you're going to live 15 more years. But now listen, one minute earlier, he had heard the words, thou shalt surely die. One minute later, he hears, you're going to live 15 more years. How do I know it's going to really happen? Watch. Just watch that sundial. <laughs> he, get, he doesn't have his fig plaster yet. He gets up and he looks over at that sundial, and that shadow moves backwards. Wow! That's our God. Amen. That's the God we worship. And that's the kind of a result you get when you pray like verse 3. But we've got to live the right way to pray like verse 3. Do you see how it all, the power of a righteous life. Lord, help us. Oh, it was beautiful. What else do you do? You, you know everything there in verses 4 through 8. I'm done. Could more be said, of course. Let's go to verses 9 through 20. Let me read this journal to you. We're into Hezekiah's journal now. We've got into his royal bedroom pulled the top drawer of his dresser out and found a journal there. And I'm going to read to you beginning at verse 9. The writing. This is why I'm calling it his journal. I want to get your attention to appreciate it. We're going to go inside Hezekiah. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. Here's what he wrote. He's looking back on his sickness. He's healed. He's looking back and wanting to put down what it was like to have been told by the Lord, you're going to surely die. <laughs> Quickly, get your house in order. I said, in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. My age is departed 
and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness. From day, even to night, wilt thou make an end of me. I reckon till morning that as a lion, so will he break all my bones. From day, even to night, wilt thou make an end of me. Like a crane or a swallow, so did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove. Mine eyes fail with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. What shall I say? He hath both spoken unto me, and himself hath done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. For the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee, they that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Amen, amen and amen. The writing of Hezekiah. What an incredible privilege to be allowed to read Hezekiah's journal at such an event. You know, there are blogs that have made the circuit in, in Christian circles of people that have been given a diagnosis of cancer and they're going to die, and so they write a blog and it makes its way around. But, but I like the inspired variety. Amen. And then I know what I'm reading is correct. And so here we have it. Twelve verses, and they're precious. And they're not very complicated. You, you, life gets rather simple when you're told you've just got a few hours to live and you're going to die. You reduce it to its basic simplicity. So let's go to verse 10. I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. All he is saying there is, it's over. My life is over. I'm only 39. I'm going to die. There's going to be a funeral. They're going to put me in a casket. It's terrible. I said in the cutting off of my days, I was cut off at 39, and instead of living to 73, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I'm going down to the ground. My life is over. Don't try to make it more complicated than it should be or is. I am deprived of the residue of my years. I'd been planning on living 73 years. Here I am, I'm only 39 years old. I have 34 more years left. I was going to serve the Lord. I was going to serve my kingdom. I was going to have a big family. And yes, I was going to make it to my children's high school graduation. Sorry. Sorry. How about, their, how about them getting their driver's license? Do you put that in your prayer too? It's interesting to just to note for reasons of trivia, Manasseh isn't going to be born for three more years. Manasseh began to reign when he was 12, and Hezekiah has 15 more years. 
just keep that in mind. It's not, it's not the best news in the world to hear about Hezekiah's son Manasseh. But I want you to know that Manasseh did use a different R word at the end of his life, and it totally changed his life. Right. He had to use the other R word. But he humbled himself greatly and repented in the prison of Babylon, and the king of Assyria put him back on the throne in Jerusalem. So both our words work. Isn't what a Lord. Amen. If we sin, we can repent and he forgives. If we live righteously, we can appeal to it and he honors it. There is a there is verily a reward for the righteous in the earth. Does the Bible say that? Amen. Okay. I hope you don't think that I'm making light of verse 10. I just don't want you to be looking for more in verse 10 than is in verse 10. He's just kind of howling about the fact that he's going to die at 39 instead of 73. Verse 11. I said, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. He says, death is terrible. It's going to end my worship of God. I've loved the Lord. I love his worship. I love his temple. I won't be able to do that anymore. And so that's the first half of this verse. If I die in the next 24 hours, I'm never going to be able to worship the Lord anymore. Along these kind of lines, I love to tell the Lord, thank you for giving me existence. Because if you had not given me existence, you would not have the soul that loves you the most. If I get cut off in my 39th year, I won't be able to worship the Lord anymore. That's the first half. I'll be out of this world. I'll be out of the land of the living. So notice the premium that he puts on worshiping God and how he measures his life. And then the second half is, I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. I won't be able to make it to their weddings and their high school graduation. I'll give it to you. In the second half of this verse, I shall behold man no more. I'm not going to see my neighbors, my friends, my wives, my children, my brothers, my parents, my uncles. It's all gone. My life heavenward is over, and my life earthward is over. That's verse 11. Verse 12, mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness from day even to night. Wilt thou make an end of me? I don't know when it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen during the day. And then if the day gets over, I think it's going to happen at night. It's just, it's just going to happen at any moment. Mine age is departed. What I thought that I had 34 years left is just all gone in a moment's time. He's removed me like a shepherd's tent. A shepherd's tent was a portable tent so that a shepherd could move from place to place to place for the flock of sheep. I have cut off like a weaver my life. It's put in the active verb form. It is still God cutting him off. Hezekiah didn't want to die. The very next clause says that it's God cutting him off. That is the way that you need to learn how to read poetic language. And language like this, language like the Psalms, where it is written, he didn't commit suicide. I refuse to accept Hezekiah as a suicide case. It's language of the Bible and how it changes in its persons from first to second to third persons, how it can change verb tenses at times, and the voice of verbs. I have cut off 
when it was he that was cut off by the Lord, as the next clause says, he will cut me off with pining sickness. What does it mean to pine? To afflict with pain or suffering, to cause to suffer, to torment, to trouble, to distress. Pining is tormenting, afflicting, consuming distress. Pining is wasting and languishing. And the Bible uses bear up that sense of the word. He will cut me off with pining sickness. God is going to take my life away with painful, sorrowful, troublesome, languishing disease that's going to consume me. You know, when a person is told they have cancer, and that cancer has reached a state of metastasizing in their body, they know that their end is going to be ugly and painful and sorrowful because of what we, the little bit we know about cancer. Ordinarily, there's going to be a lot of suffering with it. And Hezekiah, whether he knew the intricacies of his disease or not, we're not told, but he knows that the Lord's going to cut me off and it's going to get painful before it gets better. And that's what we have in verse 12. He will cut me off with pining sickness. From day even to night, Wilt thou make an end of me? I don't know when it's going to come, if it's going to be today or if it's going to be tonight. And if he makes it through the day, he thinks it could happen during the night. And then the next verse, I reckoned till morning. His thoughts were totally about life, existence, surviving, lasting. I reckoned till morning, all night long. Is this my last hour? Am I going to die right now and be found by my servants not breathing in my bed? I reckon till morning that as a lion, so will he break all my bones. Like a lion can take an unarmed man and with the force of their jaws, which can break the back of a zebra with one bite, he's going to break my bone. God's going to break my bones. From day even to night wilt thou make an end of me. The very same words from verse 12. From day even to night, wilt thou make an end of me? I am living my life consecutively, minute by minute, through the day, then into the night, through the night, then the day. He's just going to, one of these moments, it's over. It's going to seize me, and I'll have nothing left. I mean, this is a man pouring out his soul to us, and we get it by God's preserved scriptures. Verse 14, like a crane or a swallow, so did I chatter. A swallow, if you've ever been around a barn, to know what swallow, the noise swallows make, swallow makes quick and frequent noises, thus Hezekiah's constant chattering. A crane makes a loud and frightful sound, thus Hezekiah's deeper howling despair that he's going to die, and he doesn't want to die. He's only 39. So what do you do if the Lord's brought terrible trouble into your life? How do you get him to have mercy? You pray like verse 3. But before you pray like verse 3, you've got to live so that you can say, remember my life in verse 3. A dove makes a pitiful mourning sound. Thus Hezekiah is grieving and groaning about dying. Mine eyes fail with looking upward. I look upward. Of course he prayed before the prognosis. Before Isaiah come in, came in, when he was already sick unto death with a bad disease, he'd been praying and hadn't got anywhere in his prayer. So what do you do when you've prayed and you haven't got anywhere in your prayer? Does the Bible deal with that issue? You keep on praying. Right. What is the word? What's the English word used in the Bible about never giving up in praying? Importunity. Importunity. 
in Luke 11 and in Luke 18, the Lord Jesus Christ taught importunity in prayer. He put a man in bed with his children and his friend who lived next door came to the door and said, I've had company arrive and I don't have any food. Can you give, can you loan me some food for them? And Jesus said, because he's his friend isn't good enough. And because he has a need isn't good enough. It's because the neighbor stood there. Get up. This is what it, oh yeah, this is the Bible. The man wouldn't go away. And so he kept pounding that door and pounding that door. And the Lord Jesus said, eventually that man is going to get out of bed and go get him the bread or whatever he needs and hand it to him to shut him up. You say, Jesus wouldn't preach that way. Oh, yes, he did. Go read it. That's Luke chapter 11. So all you got to do is make a lot of noise and stay at it. You know, we give up way too quickly. You know that, don't we give up too quickly. Then Luke 18, the unjust judge. The unjust judge doesn't fear God or man. And he's got this widow woman coming and needing to be avenged of her adversaries. And the widow woman can't pay. So the judge doesn't want to take her case. Every single morning when he comes to the office, he looks at his answering machine. Blink, 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 blink. He hits play because he can't miss any good calls. And there's that widow woman every day. You say, Jesus wouldn't preach that way. Jesus did preach that way. Right. I dare you to go to Luke 18 and read about it. Do you know how you... Jesus used that as an example of how you get the Lord's attention. You keep pushing them every day. That's how he taught. That's, that's what the word importunity means. Importunity means to conduct yourself in nearly an obnoxious way to get someone's attention. And that's the word Jesus used for his importunity. The man at the door because of his importunity, pounding on that door. O Lord, I am oppressed, undertake for me. That's verse 14. This is Hezekiah, when he was calling upon the Lord earlier, that he was oppressed with this disease. I need your help. I can't do it without you. My, mine eyes fail with looking upward. I've been looking up and I've been praying and it hasn't got me anywhere. Verse 15. Look at how quickly... The, 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 the verse of despair about prayer ends up with the answer to prayer in verse 15. What shall I say? You know, I was a little discouraged that the Lord hadn't answered me very quickly, but He did answer me. What shall I say? He's done two things. He hath both spoken unto me and Himself hath done it. He's healed me by His mighty power. I don't have to worry about doctors. I don't have to worry about time. He told me I'm going to live, He's made me live, and He's moved the sundial back 10 degrees. He's done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. What I experienced on my deathbed is going to keep me the rest of my life for these 15 years to live carefully. I am going to go softly. I am not going to be pompous. I'm not going to be too bold. I'm not going to be too aggressive. I'm going to go softly because I have a bitter memory in me of what it is like to be at death's door. Oh, would to God he had kept that. Right. You know what happens when we are seriously fearful for our lives or seriously fearful about something? We promise the Lord things. And then once the threat goes away, 
Listen, I'll be honest with me. When the threat goes away, we show the depravity of our natures by forgetting what we told the Lord we would do for him. It's terrible. Hezekiah is going to forget. I'm going to go softly. Are you kidding me? When the ambassadors arrived, he said, get the limos lined up. Guys, first of all, give me a couple hours. Get those limos running and gassed up. He took them and showed them everything he had in his palace. Then he put them in the limo, though they hadn't asked for it, and he gave them a tour of all of Judah to show them everything he owned. I'm going to go softly. The man with the quadruple bypass. When he leaves the hospital, he's given a couple pages of instructions on what he should eat. He follows them, at the best, for one month. And in month two, it's chips and dip all over again. It's human nature. Because once the threat is gone, once there's no angina, I'm good to go. We're, and here, let's be better than that. Do you know that, and I'm sorry for telling you this, but I'll go ahead and share it. I shared it with a couple of men last Sunday. Do you know that I'm your pastor in part because of the woman sitting on the front row up here? Because I prayed for a certain kind of girl for the Lord to send me instead of all the horrors of this world when I was 17 years old and he sent me her but before he sent me I told him that if you'll give me the kind of girl and I told him what that kind of a girl was I will give you the rest of my life verse 15 what shall I say he hath both spoken unto me and himself hath done it I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. He's writing this immediately after being cured. He remembers the pain in his soul, and he's saying it's going to cause me to go softly the rest of my life. All my years. See, he knows he's got 15 more years that he's going to use that way. Verse 16, and I love this verse. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. What things? The two things of verse 15, God speaks to us and God does things for us. And those two things give us faith. And those two things strengthen our spirit. Lord, by these things men live. The word of God and the power of God. And in all these things is the life of my spirit. My spirit is now fully alive because you've told me I'm going to live 15 years and because you've healed me and because you've moved the sundial back. 10 degrees. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live. Because you've told me, you've done it. You've done it two different ways. You've healed me and you've, you've moved the sun back. These are wonderful words. Isn't that true about us? We love the Lord because of what he said. And we've loved, we love the Lord because of what he's done for us. Right. Praise his glorious name. Yeah. Verse 17. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. What a change in his life. To, be, to come down with this fatal disease. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. I am not going to the grave. I am not going to be dropped in a vault for my body to rot. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Whatever sins I had, we always have sins. We have sins of ignorance. I don't believe that Hezekiah had any presumptuous sins or he would have repented in verse 3. 
He said, Lord, remember me for my righteousness. But we have sins that we don't even see sometimes. But the Lord cast them all behind his back. Right. And, and so Hezekiah is basking in his deliverance. He's got a new lease on life for 15 years. I had bitterness, but you in love to my soul have delivered it from the pit of corruption. I'm not going into the grave. And you've put all my sins behind thy back. For the grave cannot praise thee. This is why God gave Hezekiah life. And this is one of the ways you reason with God in prayer. I want you to see both sides of it. Because Hezekiah is on the other side now, looking back at the life he's been given, he's going to go softly. Because the bitterness of his soul, he's going to use his time in life well. When the Lord gives us a new lease on life, we should use it to the best of our abilities for him. For the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. Lord, you've given me time. I was grieved that my worship of you in the house of the Lord was coming to an end. But now you've given me 15 more years. You wait till, I'm going to show you what I can do with the 15 years you've given me. Because if I would have died, the grave can't praise you, death can't celebrate you. I will be praising and I will be celebrating you. We can pray on the front end, Lord, extend my life. Because if you kill me, I won't be going into your house any longer. If you kill me, I can't praise you. I can't celebrate you. But if you'll give me more time, I will do those things. And then on the other side, thank you, Lord, for giving me life. I will praise you. I will celebrate you. And, and I will hope for thy truth. I will listen to the Levites preach. I will listen to the word of God read. I will learn every bit of truth that I can because you've given me life so that I can do it. I will keep spiritual things first in my life. Lord, help me do it. This is how you reason in prayer on the front end, and this is how you thank God on the back end when he's given you more life. You tell him, if he'll give you life, I'll use it this way. Since you've given me life, I'm going to use it that way. I, I'm not going to turn you to the verses in the Bible where this is used. David used it often like Psalm 6, Psalm 30, Psalm 88. But it's right here for us. It doesn't matter whether it's on the front side or the back side because it works both ways. If you're fearful and you can tell God, if you give me more time, I'll use it this way. It's a vow. It's a vow. Vows are powerful, weighty things. And then once he gives you life, you tell him how you're going to use it. Look at the wonderful reasons for Hezekiah's life. Praise, celebration, and hope for God's truth. That's what he wanted out of life. Learning more about God, his will, his works, and his word are the supreme goals of a life well lived. It's delighting in those things of God rather than the things of this earth. There is not a hint or peep here of soul sleep of the Seventh-day Adventists and other doctrinal heretics. When it says the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee, they that go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth, people call that soul sleep. That when you die, it's just all over. You have no more conscience, conscious existence. But that's not true. This is talking about your body. Because only the body goes down to the grave. The spirit immediately goes to the Lord. Death is talking about the cemetery can't celebrate thee. Those that go down to the pit, that's the six foot hole dug for your body. It's talking about your body because your spirit is in heaven. We do not believe in soul sleep at all. The soul does not go to sleep when the body dies. The spirit is immediately with the Lord Amen. is what the Bible teaches. Jesus could tell the thief beside him, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen. 
even though his body was dropped into the pit. Verse 19, the living, the living. Oh, he's excited. What's he going to do with his life? What are you going to do with your life? The living, the living. He shall praise thee as I do this day. I'm just getting started. I've got 15 years of 365 days to praise you. And I'm alive. You've made me alive. You've told me I'm going to live and you've given me strength and life. And you've moved the sundial back. The living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. My love of truth will extend itself to using my life to teach my children. I will teach my children your truth. I will leave a legacy in the earth. I will treat your truth with the importance that it deserves. The father will do it. Fathers should teach children the word of God. We had a testimony three weeks ago. Two weeks ago of a father teaching a young woman doctrinal truth. Do you remember? I remember. Do you remember? And so this is what Hezekiah commits to. The father to the children shall make known thy truth because you've given me life. I am going to seek your truth. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to celebrate you. These are reasons to pray. This is how you reason with the Lord in prayer. And this is what you give the Lord when he gives you his answer. The Lord was ready to save me. Verse 20, isn't that wonderful wording? The Lord was ready to save me. I, I got tired of looking up. I told him I was oppressed. I didn't hear an answer. And then he spoke. And then he did it. The Lord was ready to save me. Because you know what? Everything in your life depends on whether the Lord's ready or not. Do you know that? You know, we get ready real fast. I get ready faster than you probably. That just means I'm more impatient. But it's the Lord's readiness. The Lord was ready to save. Sometimes you'll pray and you'll say, Lord, can you do it today? Well, maybe he's going to do it next week. Is eight days a long time? It is when you're grieving in the bitterness of your soul. It can, but we can't give up. Continuing instant in prayer is a New Testament short expression. Continuing instant in prayer. Instant means insistent, urgent pressing. The Lord is ready to save me. Therefore, because the Lord is ready to save me, and I was at death's door, and I was really hurting bad, and I thought it was all over and it was curtains for me, but the Lord's given me 15 more years. Therefore, this is what I'm committing to do. Therefore, we, anyone around me, anyone that I'm responsible for, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. I'm going to promote the worship of God to the highest level possible with everyone that I can possibly influence. Do you know how Psalm 40 says, the Lord, the Lord has taken me up out of the miry clay and put my feet in a rock, and he's put a song in my mouth. The righteous will see it and fear and delight in seeing the change in a life. And so here's Hezekiah coming forth. This is what I'm going to do. And so he... Turn to 2 Chronicles 29. I'm about done. I'm almost done. 2 Chronicles 29. The second one will be shorter, I promise you. It's only got eight verses. Surely I can't do any harm with eight verses. I want you to know about Hezekiah the musician so that you understand that last verse there that we just covered in verse 20. Therefore, 
because the Lord is ready to save me, therefore we will sing my songs. He's going to be writing songs. He's got favorite songs. The Lord's going to, we're going to sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. My family, my, my cabinet, those that work with me, my princes, we're going to be dedicated to the worship of God. I want to show you Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 29, verse 25. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, 300 years earlier. Hezekiah is 300 years after David. And of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. Amen and amen. What a worshiper of God Hezekiah was. And the Lord used this event to just lift him a little higher. But as we'll find out in the next chapter, he has a relapse. But when you have a relapse, it's another R word then there's an our word that can save you from it, and that is to repent. Verse 21, for Isaiah had said, notice, that is past perfect tense verbs, had said, that means it came before he wrote the journal. For the, Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil, and he shall recover. And my point right here is that Christians do not reject medical means with, God's, with praying to God at the same time. We are not Jehovah's Witnesses or others that deny, or extreme Pentecostals that deny God's use of medical means. So we use the medical means and we trust God to bless the effort. The horse is prepared against the day of battle. The horse is prepared against the day of battle. But where does safety come from? But safety is of the Lord. And we put the two of them together. And so that's what verse 21 and more could be said. And then verse 22, Hezekiah also had said, this came before the journal. That's why it's a past perfect tense verb construction. What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Am I really going to live 15 more years? Show it to me. And so you say, well, why didn't they put that up there at the top end? Because this is the way God wrote his word. I like it just the way it is. Amen. Do you really want to know why? Because he thinks you forgot your past perfect tense verbs. That's why. That's why you have a had in there. Had said, had said. That's a past perfect, past perfect tense, meaning it occurred before what was past tense. And what was past tense is the writing of his journal. But before that, he had said, how will I know that I get to go up to the house of the Lord? Notice where his thoughts were. When Rabshakeh insulted him, what did he do? Went into the house of the Lord. When he got Sennacherib's letter, into the house of the Lord. When he got cured, into the house of the Lord. What if, just per chance, I know it's bizarre. Please forgive me for what I'm about to say. If by chance there is a God in heaven and his name is Jehovah 
and his son is Jesus Christ. And this is how he wants to be worshiped. How important is it to go to church and to get excited about being there? Right. Just per chance. There's no chance. The Lord hath spoken and the Lord hath done it. The Lord was ready to save me. Can you say that about yourself about a hundred different ways? Amen. I'm being conservative. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, for the rest of my life, I will worship Him, praise Him, and celebrate Him in the house of the Lord. Right. Amen and amen. amen.